Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, like uh, I think Stephen said earlier, or Tony, uh, I think one of them, my name is Vlad, and uh, I serve at Longview Heights Baptist Church here in Olive Branch, and uh, serve on staff there at a church, and uh, I, I've known uh, Stephen for quite a while, and Blake, and his whole family for a while, and Bryce as well, so uh, so very, I'm very, very honored uh, to be with you guys this morning and uh, to simply uh, look in God's word this morning. So, man, that's my, uh, that's my goal is, uh, is to be encouraged uh, this morning from the book of Psalms uh, to see the psalmist's desire um, and then kind of see what that means for us all throughout Scripture. Uh, I know as I was talking with Bryce, uh, he contacted me several weeks ago and said that um, you guys were going through... Uh, a, a series on values for Vintage Church, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And so one of those is living missionally. And so this morning, that's simply what we're going to talk about, is where that theme shows up in Scripture and how that literally permeates every single thing that we read all throughout Scripture. So my goal this morning is, is kind of a lofty goal. My goal is to start in Psalm 67. Thank you, Miss Summer, this morning uh, for reading that uh, for us this morning. So if if you have a Bible, let's, let's start in Psalm chapter 67. Uh, I want to uh, look at this psalm just, just for a few minutes and, and start there as, um, as a beginning point. Um, and then I want to take us through several sections in the New Testament and Old Testament. And uh, we'll finally end up in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter number 28. So we'll start in Psalm chapter 67 uh, this morning if you have uh, a copy of God's Word. Psalm chapter 67. Uh, if you heard it just a second ago, it is a, uh, it's a very simple psalm. Uh, it's a, uh, it seems like it's a, uh, a psalm of thanksgiving to the Lord for uh, perhaps a good uh, season or a good harvest. Uh, but as we read through the psalm, we kind of see uh, an element of God's heart. We kind of see an element of what the psalmist was trying to get across. So let me read it one more time for us um, as we begin our time uh, in God's word. It simply says, Psalm 67, verse number 1. It says this, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Selah. Verse number two, so that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you with, oh God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad. And sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. You know, in my own personal life, uh, I think Psalm 67 has been uh, a, key, uh, a key passage of Scripture that has, that has informed my own understanding of missiology, my own understanding of the fact that God's heart is for all peoples. You know, the reality is in our day-to-day, -day, uh, there's no shortage of resources to help the church find its meaning and its purpose and its value. But the reality is, is that God has not abandoned us. God has not left us wondering as to what we should be about. 
God has spelled out how we should, as followers of Jesus, spend our time, our energy, and our resources. It's very easy for churches in our day-to-day to be self-focused, to be about our comforts and, and our concerns. But here, as we see in Psalm 67, God is a God of global purpose, which means that history is not just a random flow of events, that God has been working in time and he's been revealing his plan to reach all nations and all peoples with the gospel of Jesus. Israel in Psalm 67 and Abraham and and all these, all these people that we see in the Old Testament, they were not just passive spectators seeing what God was doing. Instead, they were active participants in the plan of God. So I simply have two points for us this morning, right? If you're, if you're a note taker, you know, if you're one of those that just you needs to jot something down, man, I got, I got two simple things for us today, right? I want you to notice God's desire in verses 1, 2, and 3. Right? God's desire is this. God's desire is to be known and praised by all peoples everywhere. God's desire is to be known and praised by all peoples everywhere. Look at verse 1 just for a second. Right? Just, I want you just to meditate on verse 1. He, this is the psalmist. Now, we don't really know uh, exactly who wrote this psalm. The, uh, the, the prescript right above verse 1 just simply says, To the choir master with string instruments, a psalm. Right? And so we don't exactly know who wrote this, but verse 1 says it, he, uh, the psalmist adapts the Arianic blessing from Numbers chapter 6. And he says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Man, just think about that just for a second, right? He's, he's, he's beckoning God to be gracious to Israel, to, to bless them, to make God's face to shine upon Israel. Man, think about your life this morning. Has God done that in your life? Has God been gracious to us? Has God blessed us? Has his favor, has his face shone upon us? Man, absolutely. Now, hold on, let's think about it like this. Now, does this mean spiritual blessings or is, this, or is this physical blessings? Man, the answer is yes, right? The answer is yes to all of those things. Man, think about it. God is, this, is, this psalm is asking that God would show you a sinner, a rebellious sinner against him, unmerited love, undeserved compassion, continued grace, this is asking God to show me and you what we do not, what we do deserve. This is asking God to give you what we, what we don't deserve. This is asking God for favor and for grace. Man, God has blessed us spiritually. God gives us through the death of Jesus. He gives us forgiveness of sins. He gives us grace upon grace. He has given to us mercy upon mercy. God has blessed us physically. God has blessed us by living in the United States of America. We enjoy freedoms this morning to gather like we do. We enjoy a beautiful facility like this to gather together. We enjoy air conditioning in the, in, in the, right in the middle of July, right? So we enjoy, we have these physical blessings that God has blessed us with. But verse number one is very important. It says, may God be gracious to us, bless us, let his face to shine upon us. And really, if we stop there, 
If we stop there, our Christianity becomes very self-centered and self-focused. It is very easy just to sit and bask and enjoy the blessings and the favor of God. Verse number 2 brings in a responsibility. Verse number 2 brings and takes this a little bit further. It says this. Look at verse number 2. Man, the very first word... I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Your version of Scripture may differ just a little bit. But verse number 2 simply starts with the word that. Or so that. Right? Verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us. Make His face to shine upon us. Man, that is beautiful and glorious. Verse 2 goes on to say what? That your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. All church family this morning, not only do we see God's desire to be known and praised by all peoples everywhere, but we see, my second point is this, we see God's design, not just desire, but God's design. How is he made known among the nations? How is his name and his salvation go everywhere? His design is that he is to be known and proclaimed by his people. He is to be known and proclaimed by his people. Church family, this morning, if grace, if the grace of Jesus is disconnected from its ultimate purpose, like I said, the result is a very self-centered Christianity that results in simply being, in simply being all about me. If I asked you this morning, if we asked ourselves this morning, what is the message of Christianity? You may answer things like, God loves me. And we may say, God has a beautiful plan for my life. Those things are 100% true. Those things are 100% scriptural. But however, if we make Christianity all about us, we miss the grand purpose of, God, of, of the Lord. What if, what if God... And not us is really at the center of this whole thing. What if God's praise, not ours, is really what our lives should be about? What if the blessing of God is actually intended to spread through me? Psalm 67, may God be gracious and may God have favor upon us. Verse number 2 connects it so that his way is known among all peoples. Verse number 3 is, uh, is, is like a summary of this first stanza. It says, let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. How are all peoples going to know about this saving God? It is only because of through the blessing and the favor that God gives on his own people. Verse number 4 once again erupts with praise. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Even here in the Old Testament in a very foreshadowed kind of way. We see that God will be judged not just over. Israel, not just over his people Israel, but over all nations and over all peoples at the end of time. Verse number five, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. A repetition of verse number three. Verse number six, let the earth, rather the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. Has God been favorable to Israel? Absolutely. Has God been favorable to you and me, church family, this morning? Absolutely, 100%. 
And so here's this. So we see God's desires to be known and praised by all peoples everywhere. We see God's design. How is he going to do that? He's going to bless his people so that his people take the message of salvation to all peoples. Maybe this morning you're not convinced just quite yet of this God's purpose. Maybe this morning you're not convinced of God's grand purpose and vision throughout all scripture. Here's what I want to do. For the next few minutes, what I want to do is simply take a survey of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I want to show you through the pages of Scripture, the meta-narrative of what God has been building literally from Genesis to Revelation. All of the Bible stories that you and I know, all of the characters that you and I have seen in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, they're not just randomly there. Jonah doesn't just randomly get swallowed by a whale. Daniel and his friends are not randomly rescued from multiple things all throughout the book of Daniel. The Red Sea doesn't just part just for the sake of it. No, all these things happen because God has been, has a purpose. And his purpose is to be known and worshipped by all peoples everywhere. So if you start all the way back, if you just want to jot these verses down, you can, you can turn there if you would like. But I'm just going to read them from, uh, for, for, from these pages. All the way back from Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. We see that God creates humanity to reflect his own glory. He, out, of, out of everything else that God creates, God has creates Adam and Eve and commissions them to two things. Genesis 1 verse 28 says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God, verse 29, and God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What's the end game? God's end game is a world full with people that love and worship him. A, a world of people. That's why he tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. God's design is so that a world is brimming and full of people that image him rightly and that show the character and the nature of who he is. But here's the reality, church, is that Adam and Eve don't make good on that plan. By Genesis 3, they have rebelled. They want the world to revolve around them. They question God's goodness. They question God's greatness and they follow the serpent's temptation. And when they sin, God's purpose does not change. It simply is just rerouted a little bit. The arrival of sin does not change the path of God's purpose. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. God says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, what God does is he promises to raise up from Adam's line a seed of the woman. This seed of Adam will do what Adam could not. He will accomplish God's purpose. He will destroy the serpent. He will do what Adam failed 
to do as we progress through the book of Genesis. In Genesis 12, we meet a a patriarch of the faith, if you will. A moon worshiper by the name of Abram. God comes to Abram in Genesis 12 and says this. This is Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and, 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 him, who honors you, I will, I, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And listen to this church. And in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. God promises to bless Abraham so that... Uh, this is Psalm 67, verse 2. So that through Abraham, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. So for 400 years, Abraham's family begins to develop into the nation of Israel. And as, they, as, Israel, as Israel grows, we see Egypt come into play. And when Egypt turns on Israel and enslaves them in the book of Exodus, God redeems Israel, not just for their sake, but for the sake of all nations. As we fast forward very quickly through Moses and the Red Sea, and as they're in the wilderness, this is Exodus 19. Listen to what God says to Israel. Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel is a kingdom of priests. This means that God intends for Israel to mediate the blessing of God to all nations. They do that by setting themselves apart, by keeping the covenant that Israel was to be a light to the Gentiles. And we see Israel at its best, perhaps with King David. 2 Samuel chapter 7, man. We progress through a little bit of Israel's history. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 and 13. This is another promise that God gives to King David. It says, when your days are fulfilled, when you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up an offspring after you who will come from your body I will est- and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. All of the promises that God promised to Abraham will be realized through David and through the line that is following King David. David is to represent Israel. His reign is to bless the nations. And that's what it did. 1 Kings chapter 4. All the nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And from all the kings of the earth who had heard, foreigners and Gentiles were coming to see the wisdom of Solomon. How God had blessed Israel. How in 1 Kings chapter 8 verse number 60 it says that so that the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. Israel and its king and its physical temple should have been a light to the nations. This was the height of Israel's reign under King Solomon. However, as we progress through even King Solomon's, uh, even through his kingship, we see that he may have started well, but towards the end was drawn away by his Gentile wives worshiping false gods. Man, we get to the Psalms and we read passages like Psalm 67 verse 4, let all the peoples praise you. 
Psalm chapter 2, verse number 8. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. Psalm chapter, verse number, chapter 18. For I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. Psalm 22. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. So we see all throughout the Psalms, we see the psalmist cry out that God's name and God's glory is known among all peoples everywhere. By the time we get to the prophets... We see Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Often they have a message of judgment. Often they have a message of condemnation for the way that Israel has walked away from the Lord time and time again. But yet there is hope all throughout these prophets. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Hear the word of the Lord. You rulers of Sodom, give ear to the teaching of the Lord. You people of Gomorrah, what is to me the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and well-fed beasts. The reality is, is that Israel has come very far from the blessing it was meant to be. Just like Adam, God sends Israel into exile, out of the land. But all hope is not lost. God is still continuing to work out his purpose. We get to Isaiah chapter 19. Listen to this, jot this down. Isaiah 19, verses 21 through 23. Listen to these words. And the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians... And the Egyptians will know the Lord in that day and worship with sacrifice and offering. And they will make vows to the Lord and perform, perform them. And the Lord will strike Egypt and uh, striking and healing. And they will turn to the Lord. He will listen to their pleas for mercy and heal them. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. And Assyria will come to Egypt and Egypt into Assyria. And the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. Man, what is going on? We see that in, in Isaiah chapter 19. Egypt, they're not the people of God. Right there all of a sudden we see there's a potential for worship. The Assyrians are coming and they're worshiping. Here's the reality is that God intended for his name to be known even to his enemies, even to Egypt and even to Assyria. By the time we get to the end of Isaiah, Isaiah 49, there's a prophecy of one that would come and do this perfectly. Isaiah 49 verses 5 and 6. The Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to his servant to bring Jacob back to him that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. He says, listen to this, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to be preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Oh, church family, the story of the Old Testament is that God intends to cover the world with his glory. He intends to build a global kingdom of people that image him rightly. But here's the reality. Adam failed, Genesis chapter 3. Israel has failed. But the prophets had a ring of hope that one day there would come a Messiah that would do this rightly. And so we come into the New Testament. And Matthew 1.1 is a testament of the faithfulness of the Lord. It simply starts out like this. Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
Matthew comes in swinging with a genealogy. God's heart for nations has not diminished. Just like Psalm 2 is promised, Jesus will bring all nations under his reign. He will continue the promise that he promised to Abraham. Matthew chapter 2, as we start reading the story of Christmas... Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Listen to this. Behold, wise men from the what east came to Jerusalem. Wise men from the east. Gentiles visiting the newborn king. So here's what this means. Every nativity scene testifies to God's purpose. That Christmas is about God's heart for the nations. As we see wise men that are coming from nations far away. That his intention is to redeem people from every family on the earth. As Jesus starts his ministry, Luke 4, as he's in the synagogue and he's, uh, he's, re- he repeats the message of Isaiah 61 that the, Lord's, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim liberty to the captives and good news to the poor. Matthew, or Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Jesus simply came to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. As Jesus is starting his ministry, we see that Matthew 8, a Roman centurion is healed. Matthew chapter 15, a Canaanite woman, an arch enemy of Israel, a Gentile has come and expresses faith in Jesus. Jesus feeds 5,000 plus people, most of who include perhaps Gentiles, non Jewish individuals. As Jesus starts his ministry, what does he do? Man, Jesus goes around and he starts on the the shores of the sea and he calls 12 men to himself simply for two reasons. Mark chapter 3, that they might be with him and that they might preach the message of the kingdom of God. Jesus invests in 12 guys throughout his ministry so that they would be the ones that would carry the torch after his ministry is completed. As Jesus it goes to the cross, as we remember his resurrection, as we remember what he accomplishes on the cross, that salvation is possible to everyone who would repent and believe. And then we come to Matthew chapter 28. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 28. Now I hope that you see that this great passage of Scripture, we, we come, we've come to know it in the American church as the Great Commission. Right, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. Oh, church family, it does not come in a vacuum. Jesus does not just randomly say, hey, you know what, here's a good plan. A good plan for you guys is to go global. No, 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 no. The purpose of God has been building all throughout the pages of history. So that Matthew 18, Jesus gets his disciples together as they're on the mountaintop, as Jesus has done many times before. This is the resurrected Jesus. Perhaps Jesus stands up in a, and he says these words, maybe with, a, with an extra oomph, maybe with an extra sense of authority, with an extra commanding sense of purpose. He gets his disciples together. Matthew 28, verse 18 says this, All authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Oh, they've seen the authority of Jesus. He has healed. He has fed thousands of people. He has walked on water. He even raised people from the dead. Jesus himself 
was raised from the dead. All authority has been given to Jesus. Verse number 19, he says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything or all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Uh, He leaves his followers, he leaves his 12, rather 11 guys with this great task in front of them. And man, as we we peruse through the New Testament, we see, now hold your place in Matthew 28. We're going to come back to this. Let me kind of take you a little survey through the New Testament. What happens after Jesus ascends back into heaven? Man, I'm so glad you asked. The very first evidences of the gospel going forth is at Pentecost. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 9. Listen to all these, all these peoples represented. Acts 2, verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of, of God. As Peter stands up and miraculously over 3,000 people come to know the Lord. As we see in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. Church history would tell us that this guy is the one that brought the gospel to, Asia, to, to Africa. Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch comes to know the Lord. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, who is a Gentile, comes to know the Lord. Acts chapter 13, Paul begins his missionary journey, sent out by the church of uh, sent out by the church at Antioch. He goes to multiple places from Acts chapter 13 to Acts chapter 18. You can go back and read all of those cities that Paul has Paul has done ministry in. This is a good summary statement. Acts 14, 27, when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared that what God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Listen to Acts 19, verse 10. The, this continued for two years, meaning Paul's ministry, specifically in, in Ephesus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So you're telling me in the ministry of Paul that all the residents of Asia heard the words of Jesus, heard the gospel of Jesus. That's what Acts 19 verse 10 says. Hey, and they didn't even have the internet. They didn't even have airplanes or cars or texts or Twitter or anything, any of those resources. But yet, the message of the gospel had permeated the majority of the Roman Empire to the end that Romans tells us. As Paul writes the book of Romans, I really think Paul writes Romans, this great theological resource that we have, as a, really as a support letter in order to go to Spain. He writes at the end of, 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 of Romans chapter 15, he writes and says, "...by the powers of signs and wonders." By the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. And so the gospel has gone out and gone to the nations, so that all the, at the end of time, 
as we see in the letters of, of Paul, as, as he writes to Ephesians, to the church at Ephesus, as he writes to the church at Colossae, as he writes to the church at Thessalonica and, and speaks of their faith and speaks of how their faith has gone out from them, we skip all the way to the end. Go with me. Hold your place in Matthew 28 because that's where we're going to end. But go with me to Revelation chapter 7. Go with me, church family, to Revelation chapter 7. You didn't know you were in store going all through the Bible this morning, but it's okay, all right? So Revelation chapter number 7. Look with me in Revelation chapter 7, verse... Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse number 9. Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse number 9. It says this. I hope, church family, that these, these verses this morning... That these verses are solidified in our hearts this morning. That this is the task. This is the goal. This is the, the vision that we are headed to. I hope this morning that this is why Vintage Church exists. This is why Longview Heights exists. This is, this is what we're going for. Revelation 7. Look at verse number 9. John writes and he says, After this I looked and behold a great multitude... That no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. So hold on, I'm a, I'm a visual person, right? So, so you may not know me, but I'm a, I'm a very visual person, so i got to build the scene in my head, kind of like a movie scene, right? So, so here's John, and he's writing, and he sees this vision, and he looks out, and there's just a multitude of people. I don't know, maybe you've been in a huge stadium before, you've seen sports, or you know, maybe you've just seen a huge crowd of people. But just imagine just a multitude, you can't even put a number on it. And John, and John looks out and he sees and he says, hold on, not all these people look the same. They're not all Americans. They're not all Europeans. But they're all kinds of people. Man, they're all kinds of colors. They're all kinds of shapes and sizes. And, and it's, all these peoples are there. Now, what, what do they look like? It says they are clothed in white robes, which signifies a sense of purity which is a symbol of, of what has happened to them, that they have been, that they have been cleansed by the, the, the blood of the Lamb. They're standing in white robes. They've got palm branches in their hands. Man, this takes us back maybe to the triumphal entry of Jesus. You remember as they welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem with palm branches, it's a sign of celebration. It's a sign of triumph. And they're waving palm branches in their hands. Verse number 10, listen to what they're saying. Crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were around the throne and around the elders and four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. And they said, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Church family, this is the vision, this is the goal for which you and I as individual believers still exist and as our churches still exist. What does it mean to live missionally? It means to keep Revelation 7-9 as the focus, as the, game, as the ultimate game plan for which we are headed to take the message of salvation. That is God's desire. His desire is to be known and praised by all peoples everywhere. How is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? Man, here's the reality. God could have taken the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
the good news of salvation. And he could have wrote it in the stars for all, 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 all of humanity to see. He could have taken the message of the gospel, I don't know, wrote it in seaweed for us to see on the ocean floor. I don't know. Or wrote it in the sands for us. But God, in his sovereignty, in his providence, I don't understand why, but he has chosen to take the message of the gospel and put it in vessels like us. And put it in broken vessels to take this message of salvation to everyone that would listen. This message of repent and believe in Jesus. This is God's grand purpose. This is how all of Scripture has come together. All of Scripture is headed towards this one spot of when all peoples will bow down and worship who Jesus is. So how will that happen? Go back with me to the Great Commission, Matthew 28. I'm going to end it like this. How do we live in this kind of way? Remember, we started with Psalm 67. May God be gracious and let his face to shine upon us so that his way is known and his saving power among all nations. How will that happen? Revelation 7-9 will not happen unless the church takes this task seriously. Matthew 28, Jesus simply says uh, in verse number 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The authority of Jesus is the basis for everything else that follows in this text. His worth is the fuel for our mission. And his worship is the goal of this. John Piper once famously said that missions exist because worship doesn't. And this is where in in Matthew 28, Jesus stands up and says, All authority has been granted, has been given to me. Going to nations, going to our neighbors only makes sense if Jesus actually has all authority and all worth. If Jesus does not have all authority and if he is not all worthy, the Great Commission will not make sense whatsoever. And so this morning, i got a question for you. Are you willing to be under the authority of Jesus? This morning, as we look at the Great Commission, are you willing to be under the authority of Jesus? I'm not asking if you simply asked Jesus into your heart. I'm not simply just asking if you have been a part of a church. But I'm asking, does Jesus have lordship over every single area of our life? Does Jesus have lordship, authority over your marriage, over your finances, over the way that you live your life, over your over your worldview, does he have lordship under? Uh, does he have lordship in your life? Are you willing to live under the authority of Jesus? Verse number nineteen, Matthew twenty-eight. He says, "All authority has been in heaven on earth has been given to me." Look at verse nineteen. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Not only are you willing to be under the authority of Jesus, are you willing to be a disciple of Jesus and make other disciples of Jesus? Man, this is, the, this is the climax, this is the pinnacle of the Great Commission. It's not just to go, but literally the language here is, as you are going, as you are living your life, make disciples. The verb here is make disciples. Isn't it interesting that Jesus gets his disciples together, the, the men that are to carry on this task, and he doesn't hold a, he doesn't hold a church planning seminar he doesn't hold a strategy on what it means to plant a church, what it means to, you know, go global. No, no, what does he do? He says, I want you to make disciples. 
right? And which simply means you've got to be a disciple of Jesus yourself. It means that you and I are to be people of the Word of God, that we are to abide in the Spirit of God, that we are willing to be under the authority of Jesus, to be committed to His glory, to be dependent on His grace, to be faithfully following His commands in our own personal life. But this also means to be making disciples. I believe that our individual growth as a disciple is incomplete unless we are making disciples. Because we cannot simply lead people to a corporate gathering maybe like this. We must be able to invest relationally in other people so that others may know of who Jesus is. Every follower of Jesus, I believe, will plateau in our walk with Christ if we are not investing it in others. If your Christian walk is all about yourself, then perhaps we do not understand the Great Commission. We must become people that are willing to make other disciples of Jesus. Are you willing to be a disciple and make other disciples? Then keep going, verse 19. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I would ask you this morning, are you willing to be baptized? Or have you been baptized? Because here, baptism, we see it's, a, it's an act of obedience that symbolizes what Christ has done on the inside of our heart. Man, if you are a believer in Jesus, I encourage you to talk to pastors and elders here and to, and to talk about baptism and what that looks like because it is a part of the Great Commission. Verse number 20, ending it like this. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Are you willing to teach all of the commands of Jesus? Man, here's the reality. Jesus, you don't, you don't know what culture would look like in 2023. Jesus, you don't know what things our culture is going to proclaim and what things are going to be important and what things can't be said in our culture in 2023. I would, I would tell you Jesus has all authority and that he does know. Jesus does not foresee a time when any part of his teaching is needless, untimely, untrue, or irrelevant. And so Jesus takes and says, teach them all the commands that I have taught to you. Jesus takes his, remember, he takes his 11 guys and what, is it, what has he done, man? He's gone through, and he's not picked the best or the brightest or the smartest in the group. He's picked fishermen. He's picked people that are, that are not schooled in the school of theology. He's picked guys that are at the bottom of the totem pole. But they, in turn, by the power of the Spirit, turn the world upside down by teaching all that Jesus has commanded. And then finally, Jesus ends in verse number 20. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. So are you, how does this encourage you? That's my last question. How does this encourage you? Jesus says, Jesus says, I know you cannot do this by yourself. I know that this task cannot be completed in your own power. So guess what? I will go with you. I will be with you to the end of the age. Jesus knows a church that follows the Great Commission and that takes the Great Commission seriously will have a hard time. Just look at the book of Acts. Right, Just look at the book of Acts and the persecution that happened in the book of Acts. And so Jesus says, I will be with you. So living missionally. I hope this morning that you've been reminded, maybe reminded, encouraged by God's purpose to be known 
and praised by all peoples everywhere. That, that nations, as we look at Revelation 7, 9, that all peoples, not just geopolitical entities. Like today, we think of nations. We may think of the United States. We may think of Canada. We may think of Germany. We may think of Russia. We may think of all these geopolitical states. But when Scripture speaks of nations, it speaks of them in terms of ethnic people groups, of groups of people that share a similar worldview and language and lifestyle. And so today, if you look at the, if you look at the world as a whole, right, we're, we're, we're talking about 7.8 billion people that live on the face of the earth. And today, by our best estimates, there are still over 3 billion people that have no access to the gospel. We call those people unreached, right? The, now, here's the reality. In, in, our, in DeSoto County... There are lost people. There are tons of lost people in DeSoto County. But in DeSoto County, there are no unreached peoples. Because unreached means you have no access to the gospel. In, in DeSoto County, we have plenty of access, right? You and me, we're testament of the presence of the gospel in DeSoto County. But today, there are over 3 billion people that have zero or to very little access to the gospel of Jesus. And yet, the Great Commission is still the responsibility of Vintage Church. The Great Commission is the responsibility of each local church. So let us work to this end to continue to take the gospel to all peoples and all nations. This is the, this is the church's primary task. Here's the reality is that Jesus did not simply create a task for us as the church. Instead, Jesus has taken the church for the task. And so living missionally... It means recognizing that God has had favor in your life. That God has blessed you and me, both physically, spiritually, and everything in between. But God has not blessed us and given us all these blessings for our own sake. No, 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 church family. God has blessed us, Psalm 67 verse 2, so that his way is known so that his saving power might be known among all nations. I hope this morning that you are encouraged and convicted, perhaps maybe refocused on God's great purpose for, the, for your own life and for the church. And so let us work to the end of Revelation 7-9 that all peoples might know him. And let us work to that end. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. God, I thank you for its rich promises. God, I thank you this morning, Father, from Matthew 28, 20. God, for the promise that you will be with us even to the end of the age. That, Father, as we consider ourselves as husbands and wives, as, as, as parents and as children, Lord, as people that have jobs and families, God, I pray that the message of the gospel is on our lips. Father, that we look at our lives with a different perspective. God, that you have blessed us so richly. God, not just for our sake. God, not just so that we can be centered on us, but Lord, so that your glory is reflected. God, would you use us this week? God, would you use Vintage Church here in this community Father, to impact this community, to make disciples, Lord, to work to that end. Father, may we pray for the gospel to be known 
across the world. God, would we pray and give and go to the end that all peoples might know you. Father, would you bless us. God, would you provide your presence, Lord, for this task. We pray these things in the mighty name of King Jesus. Amen. Amen.